All right, everybody, before we begin, I just want to let you know that You Are Good is made possible with support by Knack Factory, which is a commercial and creative content production company based in Portland, Maine, but it does work throughout these United States. If you need video made, if you need compelling content for the internet and beyond, get in touch with the folks at Knack Factory. You Are Good is also made possible with your support. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash you are good. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You get bonus episodes. We did one on the Fast and the Furious not long ago. It's about every two weeks ish. And we'll have a new one about Point Break soon. We're going to get Sarah to watch Point Break. And I think this is the way to do it. If you listen to the show and you want to support in some way, I just want you to know that reviews are super helpful. I think they all happen on Apple Review. I don't quite understand who set that standard. I imagine it was Apple, but uh, (laughs) Apple Reviews go a long way. Stars are very helpful. Words are even more helpful. So if you like the show, please leave us a review there. We appreciate it. We have playlists that are songs inspired by our, uh, our conversation. So look for a playlist inspired by The Parent Trap. You can find it in the show notes. All right, let's get into it. Hello, Alex Steed. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Whoa, we did it the other way. (laughs) Yeah, look at that. We're here. We're your co-hosts of You Are Good, which is a feelings podcast about movies. Sarah, Yes. what do we do here? What's the point of this show? Well, the point of this show is to be the 70,000th podcast that talks about movies and to be one that talks about movies in a way that is oriented around hey, we as human beings have this drive to create stories that we can look at and experience together and then talk about together. What's that about? What emotional needs are those activities serving? Who's the daddy? (laughs) (laughs) And we have people on and I feel like lately we've sort of oriented around have someone come on and talk about a movie that is like just really important to them for some reason. Maybe they love it. Maybe they kind of hate it, Mm. but are really compelled by it in the way that they hate it. Maybe they feel like powerfully ambivalent about it. But that's what I would describe it as. I like that. I like checking in on what we're doing. I think it's it's handy. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's like a relationship talk, but for the uh, for the listener. <laughs> yeah. How are we doing? Are your needs being met? Yeah. I like to think of it as um, if I were to tell you straight up that we were going to have a conversation about how complicated our relationship with our mother in law is. Mm-hmm. No one would come to the table. But if we said that we were having a conversation, we're having the 70,000th uh, podcast about movies, people will come. <laughs> yeah, because they're like, oh, I like movies. That's what everyone always thinks. <laughs> totally. I'm here for the movie chat. We've historically talked a lot about toxic masculinity in one way or another without, I think, ever saying probably. And non-toxic masculinity when it appears. All the masculinities. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about it lately. A couple of weeks ago, I made a TikTok about about guns. It's so funny. It was like a throwaway comment about how I think that people who wear guns open carry, that it's a lot more like scary jewelry for men than it is about guns. And I'm not anti-gun, whatever. But And the amount of men who came to the table to go, insecure men? I'm not insecure, was... Men don't understand. <laughs> 
understand what you meant by the word jewelry. Like they assumed that that was pejorative. It's a state. It's a statement. It's a anything like if, if a woman wears diamond earrings, you know what that's saying? It's saying like a child dug these out of a pit, and they were overinflated. And a man worked away hours of his one and only life to purchase them for me in a predatory lending scenario. And I am wearing that power on my face. Like, how, come on. Like, that's pretty hardcore. It just it reminded me that there's no circumstance in which the places we need to have these conversations is it really on the table to say, let's have this specific conversation. Like feeding veggies to a four-year-old sometimes, you got to sneak it in with the, with the chicken fingers. Oh, yeah. So I think so much, so much of what I want to do in media is like the Jessica Seinfeld thing of secretly feeding vegetables to a toddler. Mm, yeah, I love it. I love great Jessica Seinfeld reference. That is, Thank you. That is top-notch. You have ADHD. Mm-hmm. ADHD and I have each other. You belong with each other and, and share life. But I went to a pizza restaurant the other day. Pizza mm-hmm. restaurant. <laughs> a restaurant for pizza. You went to a pizza restaurant, yes. I went with my I went with my business partner and he brought me back and drove away before I realized I left my keys at the restaurant. So I had to go mm. I had to walk a mile, go to the restaurant. Nah. And the the person was doing the thing where they hold the keys up in front of their face and they were dangling the keys. And they said, I I knew you'd be back, (gasps) which is like rude. I've heard that so many times. And that's like, it's like a programmed (laughs) response, which is so much nicer than my internal monologue, which is just like, you fucking idiot. You left the keys behind again. It's so much nicer when the person's just like, we gotcha. Oh, well, A, I have not heard that so much. I think because people are, people tend to be polite to me. I think because I'm a giant woman, that really short circuits them because they're not quite awful to me for the reason that people are often awful to women because they're mm. like, oh, it's it's a giant woman. So she could deck me. This is a different one, different kind. You know, but it's like but then they're also not rude to me for the reasons they would be rude to a giant man. So I've got giant woman privilege. It's very yeah. interesting. <laughs> but you know what I've been doing lately that's been really helpful that I Tell recommended it. is um, OK, I have a new theory that my brain does negative self-talk just when it gets bored. Mm. It's like a toddler in a hardware store. And so if I just like let it stray for like one second, if I let my mind wander, you know, its pattern is to be like, you're a stupid fucking bitch and everyone hates you. Yep. Yeah. It really sucks. And some people don't have that. And I, there have been periods of my life when I have not had that or when I've been able to practice not having that. And one of the things I've been doing lately is just doing like relentless positive self-talk kind of I guess that's what a mantra is Mm. but mine is just like I love you Sarah I love you so fucking much Mm. you know stuff like that very simple I like and you just like keep that going in in an affirmative way and then if you just kind of like have positive self-talk filling space in your head then like it doesn't have to it's like you're constantly giving toys to this little like toddler brain is what it feels like you're like oh what about your crinkly book (laughs) instead of picking up that nail gun (laughs) i realized at some point my negative self-talk is to drown out feelings Mm. so like feelings i'm not ready for so if Mm -hmm. i could like say i hate myself louder and more with more repetition 
it drowns out this like unexpected feeling I'm not ready for because mm. like it's like a monotone thing. So what I have substituted the negative self-talk with is acknowledging that I'm doing it and saying you are having an emotion you are not ready to deal with right mm. now. Like what is that emotion and why is this your response? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because sometimes it, it does that as kind of a symptom of something. Mm. But I think mine is such a habit that it's also it's just like whenever my brain gets bored, <laughs> basically. Fix a fight. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. It's so dumb. Speaking of none of this, uh huh. today we're talking about the parent trap. This is about all of this because the parent trap is discovering that you have a source of relentless positive self-talk in the form of an identical best friend <laughs> who is your twin. And you're going to reunite your family together. It really is. It's all on you. Little did you know it was going to be your responsibility. You yeah. better do it right. <laughs> we uh we talked about this movie with Issa Burke. We're tremendously fortunate to talk with Issa. Issa is in the band called Lula Wiles. She's also a musician herself, as Issa Burke. And we often are graced with musical creations and interludes created by our producer and music director Carolyn Kendrick. Carolyn and Issa are pals, and so they put together a medley, a medley of songs that appear in this uh in this movie and this movie has such a great soundtrack which we'll talk about that it's it's a wonderful treat i'm so excited for this medley i at the time that we're talking about this i have not heard this medley and like i think it's going to change my life <laughs> sarah always hears the music at the same time you do listener mm-hmm as all of you. Exactly. As, as, as all of you. I, and I'll, I will hear an enthusiastic report uh, the second the episode's available in series. Yeah. Well, <laughs> can we just talk about how Carolyn's music is like, kind of comes from a different part of the universe somehow. It does. Right? I think so. Yeah. And you're just like, let me hear more of that part of the universe. Yeah. Let me hear more of this from this melodic witch. Right. Exactly. Like the same way I feel about Stevie Nicks. Yes. Yes. Very same. Just before we dive in, talking about the feelings that one gets and dissects when they jump into the parent mm -hmm. trap. What does the parent trap do for you? What does it represent for you? You know... This is kind of an intense thing to say, but it represents to me kind of the last gasp of childhood because mm. 11 is like there's a reason why the characters in the parent trap and it are 11. It is like the mm. last moment when you can truly believe in, in werewolves and reuniting your parents. Yeah. And so there's just like something really beautiful about it and really poignant. And we talk in the episode about just sort of how cruel multiple industries were to poor Lindsay Lohan mm. and how brilliant she is in this movie and what a kind of poignant joy it is to watch her knowing especially that she didn't have a twin in real life and she was dealing with this all by herself which really sucks yeah how do you prep a child for this you don't <laughs> you're just like here's a movie with some people in it which people who cares we talk more than normal about the reality surrounding the movie as much as we do the movie um and and it's packed with all the sorts of things that we love diving into so yeah this was this was spectacular this was just a really wonderful fun appreciative conversation and I don't feel like there's a lot of open appreciation of the parent trap by men in the world so I'm happy that you're contributing that to the discourse <laughs> All right, let's dive into the discourse. Let's jump right into this lake in Maine. 
know what? This is one small world. Uh, how small? I only have a mother, and you only have a father. You've never seen your mom, and I've never seen my dad. What's the matter? I cut myself shaving? No, it's just, just seeing you for the first time. I mean, you know, in, in so long. But this is an emergency. Dad's in love. One more trick from you two, and I promise I will make your lives miserable from the day I say I do. Got it, Cruella. I'm not looking at her in a special way. I'm looking at her like I've looked at her for 11 years. Since the day she came off from the hospital. Six pounds, 11 ounces, 21 inches long. This is how I look at her. I'm sorry, but I've never seen you, and I hope you're not mad because I love you so much, and I just hoped that one day you could love me as me and not as Annie. I've never been so happy in my entire life. <laughs> Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steve. You're back in the blanket, and it is. I'm back under the blanket. It's nice to see you Feels there. Feels good. <laughs> yeah, like a little cocktail weenie in the '60s. I got to be wrapped up in something plush. Sarah, we're we're joined by my friend Issa Burke, and I'm so, so excited about that. Issa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It is such a joy to be here. It's such a joy to have you here. Yeah, Issa, you brought us the parent trap. She made it herself, <laughs> and now we're going to watch it. <laughs> have you ever seen me and Nancy Myers in the same room? <laughs> uh. I picked this movie back when the dad thing was more central to the mm. the whole deal of this podcast. But honestly, this movie was like a formative influence on me. So I'm mm. happy to talk about it in any context. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Sarah, you're going to just tell us a bit about The Parent Trap. But I'm curious, like, what was your history with The Parent Trap before we watched it for today? Well, Alex, my family got Disney Channel in about 1997, so I never looked back <laughs> after that, which means that I was one of those kids who, because Disney was always great at vertical integration, had watched the Haley Mills parent trap mm. a bunch of times before the new parent, what I still think of as the new parent trap, came out. And so I was like primed by that weird sort of Disney flat time sense of nostalgia to be like, ah, oh, yes, the parent trap. I hope they do it justice when they brought <laughs> the Lindsay Lohan one. And I loved that movie even more. So this came out when I was like exactly Hallie and Annie age, I think, or within a year of that. And I remember it's easier now to say what it was than maybe it was than it, at the time that it came out. But it's like, this is a Nancy Myers movie for children. And like, that's a wonderful thing to exist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a good movie. It's like a beautifully shot movie for children, which is, yeah. Yeah. Which is fantastic. <laughs> Sarah, tell us like what the parent trap is, what the plot is, like yeah. get the listeners set up if they, for some deranged reason, have not seen this movie. Yeah. And this is a movie also that like it started off as a German novel called, I believe, Lottie and Lisa, and then has been made into a movie in like probably 20 different countries. For whatever reason, this concept is just very appealing. I mean, you can see why it's appealing. It's just the best. So when I first saw uh, promos for The Parent Trap when I was a kid, I was like, oh, do they 
trap their parents in a basement. (laughs) 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 And they don't. And the, the name is kind of a misnomer. But the premise is that two girls who are 11 years old meet at summer camp. And they're like, oh, my goodness, we look exactly alike and we have the same birthday. And I only have one picture of my dad. And you only have one picture of your mom. And if we put them together, they're both halves of the same picture. So we're twins. And then let's swap places so each of us can experience the parent that we didn't get to have because we were both just raised by a single parent who was like, oh, yes, the past. Well, who wants to talk about it anyway? It's fine. (laughs) You definitely don't have a twin. Um, these people did cut the baby in half, almost. <laughs> Big time. And then after switching places, the sister who goes to stay with the dad, unbeknownst to the dad, learns that he's going to marry Lisa Luter from Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. <laughs> A 26-year-old <laughs> freelancer. Yeah. <laughs> and they decide that they are going to have to put a stop to this and get their parents to fall back in love and get rid of Lisa. And it ends with two little girls beaming as they watch their parents make out with each other <laughs> in a in a very sexy, makey outy way. Yep. And it's just really, really weird. And it's just a <laughs> testament to how wonderfully made and like respectful of children's dreams this movie is that it does not feel as weird as it is. This is a yeah. weird movie that doesn't feel weird. <laughs> Knowing it's like a German children's tale really puts that into perspective. Like that is, yeah. Like I've seen this movie a bunch of times in the second. For whatever reason, watching it this time, I was like, I hope when they see their parents for the first times, they don't have a disassociative episode from all the trauma <laughs> unpacking. <laughs> I know. So, before we dive in, what is your background and why is this movie? What like what are all the things this movie represents to you? So I first saw this movie on a road trip with my parents. We were staying in some like two at most star hotel somewhere near Washington, D.C. And this movie happened to be on TV. I was with my parents and my sister and my grandmother. We watched it and this would have been maybe like a couple, only a couple years after it came out. So I maybe would have been like seven or eight the first time I saw this movie. I feel like when I was rewatching it, I was like, oh, the character of Hallie Parker created my personality. (laughs) People have that realization a lot when they come on this show. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I don't totally know what it was. It was kind of just like a perfect storm of elements, like these characters that I really related to, the soundtrack, I mean... Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, we could get into that in a minute, but <laughs> and it just became my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And I would watch it over and over and over and over again. Like this movie is just like drilled into my consciousness. And it's funny rewatching it as an adult because it's like the plot is deranged. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this this family should be on more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Everyone needs so much therapy. The whole agreement 
that like the mom would take one twin and the dad would take the other twin. It's like no judge was involved in that. <laughs> yeah, again, I mean, it really does read like a Grimm's tale. It's like there's yeah. you have you have these kids that were were sequestered away in one way or another, and then they're confronted with that and the abandon like yeah, when Annie when Annie is explaining why she's saying dad so much, you yeah. know, and oh she's God. essentially revealing it's because I'm traumatized by this. Yeah. Situation. Yeah. <laughs> also, the part where Hallie is flying to London and she's sitting in the plane, I've forgotten about this. And she's like, oh please like me, please like me. No. And like, and then of course her mom does like her because first of all, she doesn't know who she is. But also that's such a real raw like mm. childhood thing to be in there you know oh, the yeah. sense of like i think that adults don't necessarily always realize that kids aren't just these like non-rule following demons sent to test them <laughs> they're just these like little people who really want to know that their mom likes them even though that should be obvious but it's not you have to be told <laughs> for sure and it yeah it is so interesting like Rewatching this movie as an adult, the things that you pick up on and like the characters mm. that you find yourself starting to relate to yeah. or understand in a different way. I'm like team Meredith in a way I did not anticipate oh, happening. Yeah. This poor woman. <laughs> There's a whole redemption narrative for Meredith Blake that like the culture is finally ready for. Well you know how they're doing like the Disney villain movies right like we have like Cruella now mm -hmm. or whatever which is what they call her in this movie so like I, I want yep. a Disney sequel or midquel just called Meredith. Yes. <laughs> about Meredith getting her groove back after this movie. <laughs> this is the first time that I really appreciated the moment where, like, Hallie is talking to, Ch well, Annie as Hallie is talking to Chessie right after she gets back, and we've just learned that Meredith is in the picture. And Chessie's like, I mean, obviously she's a gold digger, because who would want to be in a relationship with that? And it's like, <laughs> Dennis Quaid. You're like, what? What universe are we in? <laughs> I mean, Meredith's objectives aren't great. I would suggest. However, we yeah. are led to believe that he is out of his mind in one way or another and is like looking for looking for the love of a younger lady to let him know that he still has vitality. But what tell me about your tell me about your take on Meredith about why she's cuz she's she wants to get these kids out of the picture. Like that's not Well, she didn't even know yeah. there were multiple kids to begin with. Like I Alex just imagine for a moment that you're like a lovely 26-year-old publicist who happens to have resting bitch face and resting bitch voice at the same time and you're dating a guy and he has a kid who's at summer camp and you're like oh, okay I'm not super thrilled about parenting but you know maybe we'll see how it goes and then the kid shows up and is really nasty to you and then it turns out that the kid is identical twins <laughs> and that the guy you're dating is completely not over their mom. And that not only has he never mentioned this to you, but also never told his own daughter. <laughs> like, it's a lot to absorb all at once. I don't really think we can fault her for not being a great hiker. Well, I do want to be clear, though. I don't think that that redeems Meredith. I think every adult in this movie is bad. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Every adult is bad. <laughs> That's kind of my take, too, on, like, the Meredith Blake of it all, because she... <laughs> Meredith 
is unquestionably a bit of an asshole. Yes. But... But she's never separated twins, has she? Right, exactly. And, like, the movie's attitude seems to be Meredith is the villain, sure. end of sentence. And I feel like re-watching it as an adult, I'm like, Nick Parker is a massive douche (laughs) (laughs) and not a great dad (laughs) he's like the epitome of the like hot cool dad guy who like the butler nanny chef housekeeper is like maybe more of a parent than he is Mm -hmm. and he's dating this hot 26 year old publicist there's a lot to unpack with like the nick parker's of the world I feel and I also it's no accident that Chessie figures it out first that Hallie Mm -hmm. is not Hallie Mm-hmm. Like Chessie mm-hmm. figures it out totally. before Nick does. Totally. Yeah, that goes the dog, then Chessie, and then finally her dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chessie, Chessie knows how much the kids weighed at birth. Yeah. I love that. That scene is like guaranteed waterworks for me, the, yeah. by the way, where Chessie's like, I'm just looking at her the same way I've looked at her for 11 years. This is how I look at her. <laughs> to your point, Issa, like he's just like, oh, okay. Like you're, that's, yeah. this is a totally fine scenario. She's crying. Oh and he's like, that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Hot, rich idiot. <laughs> Sarah, we've talked about this before about pre-Great Recession portrayals of wealth in movies. Mm, as yeah. as someone who watched this at a two-star hotel at best on a road trip with your parents, even though they, they formed your relationships, how were you on the relating with these two rich children wavelength when you were... I don't think I realized until recently, I was like, these kids are fucking uncomfortably rich. Yeah! <laughs> these kids are loaded. Rich people can separate as many siblings as they want. The law never intervenes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I am not someone who grew up wealthy and I think there definitely was like an aspirational element of my love for this movie that like, I think at that stage, I, A, because I was a child and B, because that was sort of the cultural narrative at the time, like hadn't sort of developed the, as they say, class consciousness that I have now and I'm watching this movie and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I'm making a very gross face for the for the listeners. Right. No, I, I was just thinking of how to describe this. It's like the face that you make when you're like, well, I don't know why the subway car is empty. And then you see why. <laughs> That's more or less my reaction to wealth. <laughs> <laughs> In that scene where Chessie figures it all out and we first see Nick across the room, like they're in the same room and Nick is very far away. Like that's how rich they mm-hmm. are. Like Nick, mm-hmm. they're in the same room and you yeah. have to yell to get his attention. <laughs> well, this is why rich people never know what's going on. Their houses are too big for them to overhear stuff. I mean, that's why Hallie uh, or Annie as Hallie can be like on the phone with her twin in her bathroom in the middle of the night. Like, that shit would not fly yeah. at my house. On her phone, in her bathroom. <gasps> my parents' bedroom was right there. They would know. You think about it, and you're like, well, well, A, they have to be really rich because it's a Nancy Myers movie, so everyone has to have a kitchen that can seat 14 <laughs> at minimum. And B, like, it would be a very different movie if they switched places and one parent was wealthy and one parent was not wealthy. 
I want to see that movie. Oh my god, yeah, me too, me too. That sure. that's the the Gen Y or Gen Z or whatever generation we're on. That's the Gen Z reboot that the Disney <laughs> Corp needs to be thinking about. One is born into a TikTok creator house, <laughs> and then my project, Meredith. I will be. I can send my script whenever anyone needs to see it. Oh my god! Great, Sarah. Can you explain? the uh, the arrangement like <laughs> yeah okay so like nick parker and elizabeth james met on the qe2 in 1986 much like gross point blank this movie is about the consequences of things that happened in 1986 <laughs> but they they met they fell in love they got married they drank some wine which he later proved his love for her by tracking down every remaining bottle of so i hope it wasn't mass produced and then they had two beautiful twin girls. And then presumably when they were quite young, because Chessie remembers both of them, and I assume they spent some time together and that she already was doing a fair amount of childcare at that point. And then they fought and decided to call it quits and decided that Elizabeth would take one baby and Nick would keep the other baby and then... Elizabeth would go live in London and Nick would stay in California and they would each have one of a set of identical twins and each would never tell their child that there was another twin of theirs out there, which just at this point seems like abuse to me. The only way that Disney movies make this believable usually is like if a witch somehow curses them. Like they can't do it because like yeah. a witch, it's harder to believe that it was like by choice of both of the parents. And by like these wonderful magical parents who the kids then want to get together. Like another thing that I think this movie that is remarkable about this movie and it's sometimes hard to even notice because it's so well made. It's really long. This is a two hour long Disney movie for yes. kids. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually pleasantly surprised. It never drags. Like there's always no. action. Like it it went by in a snap. Cuz we're always in an act. It's like the meeting, they're meeting and then they're feuding and then they realize they're twins and then they have to plot to switch places and then we're seeing that and I can't believe my mom could stand watching this with me when I was a kid because by definition she hates hijinks <laughs> and this is all about hijinks. Yeah, this is a movie full of hijinks. <laughs> and then like once they've switched places and figured out about the Meredith situation, they're like, okay, now we, we're going into golden time because we're going to have to get Meredith out of the picture and get our parents to fall in love with each other. And we haven't even mentioned that they rent a yacht. <laughs> but that's another thing that happens. Alex, what do you think? What did the like teen inside of you think of that scene? I think similar to where Issa is, like my class consciousness came on at like 15 or 16. And so like, mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't think I caught, would have caught any of this like super young, but the second I would have caught it, I would have, you know, there's at least 20 years in which I would have written this movie off entirely. Or I was more like bemused watching it now and just being like, exactly as you just said, like a scene here takes place in a rented yacht. Yeah. They got married on the QE2. <laughs> and each parent has a servant and then the servants also fall in love with each other, which is like some opera level shit. <laughs> Based on the queerness that exudes out of the two of them, it I is. I mean, come on. <laughs> They're in love. And that's all there is to it. There's a man for every woman. And even if they committed crimes in the past, you got to stay together. 
<laughs> regarding the Chessie and Martin relationship, I saw on my favorite website, Twitter.com, a place where I know you both also spend a significant amount of time. Sometimes. A tweet that said, if straight couples can't be queer, explain these two. And it was a photo of Chessie and Martin. <laughs> Carolyn looked at me when I was like, what is this? She's like, it's us. Oh, <laughs> it's the dream. Because Carolyn's very much a Chessie, and I guess like, oh, you know, I could be big in the time. same bucket. You know, I think every <laughs> year you're getting closer to a Martin in a really great way. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much. The only thing, the only thing that it, that sort of strikes Martin's queerness, and this is just the the costume designers, is just his leather was not tailored enough when he finally went out into it. Like I think his leather choices were not ideal. Well, could he afford that? Maybe he needs to be paid more. Yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> So Issa, tell us a bit about where you trace your personality back to, how you notice that yeah. in yourself. Like, tell us about that and, and how you started to notice it. Well, in a more big picture way, I think one of the things that really grabbed me about this movie when I first started watching it was kids having this level of agency Yeah, was really compelling to me. And I think that's true of so many stories that are aimed at kids, right? It is about, mm -hmm. as you said, Sarah, hijinks. <laughs> it's about kids <laughs> taking matters into their own hands. And I think that was one of the things that was most interesting to me, the idea that they could come up with this totally wacky plan and it could actually work. But also, Hallie specifically, for those of you who have not seen the movie that Hallie is like the cool California twin and Annie is the very kind of like classy London twin, <laughs> both played spectacularly by Lindsay Lohan. Mm -hmm. I mean, truly all of the like turn of the millennium Lindsay Lohan oeuvre really did a number on me. Like the scene where she walks in to the poker game at the summer camp. Mm -hmm. She's like swinging her bag of quarters in her hand and Bad to the Bone by George Thorogood <laughs> is playing. And she proceeds to kick Annie's ass in poker. Also just like Lindsay Lohan beating herself yeah. in a game of poker. <laughs> I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever ever seen <laughs> oh yeah sarah can you describe Lindsay lohan's magic too because like we were we were texting about this before yes. like every scene she's spectacular like what i mean yeah an absolute star i recently watched an american pickle which i which <laughs> i also was texting with you about and which you could not get through which i respect I your inability to get through it it's a seth rogan movie starring seth rogan and seth rogan sure where seth rogan plays himself in his own great-grandfather who is preserved as a pickle and uncasked after a hundred years like why not really why not yes <laughs> yeah seriously you're Seth Rogen you're just making pottery what are you what are you gonna do <laughs> and the plot doesn't go down nearly as smooth as the parent trap and honestly I think there's too much plot in it and it's like trying to have too much happen because you could just have Seth Rogen having chemistry with Seth Rogen and that would be enough. And I was like, that seems really hard to do. Like, I really can't think of many people who are capable of that, of like playing two characters who by definition look the same, but feel like different people 
and who have like chemistry with each other. And I was like, well, Lindsay Lohan did that when she was like 11. Yeah. I mean, my big takeaway from when I watch this performance now and kind of knowing what a number the industry did on her, I feel this weird cocktail of emotions where I'm first like really amazed and proud that like this little kid like did such an amazing performance and like did because carried this entire movie like she's really i it's astounding to me like i wish they were still doing juvenile oscars like they gave to judy garland because i feel like this performance completely deserved one Big time. and then also it feels really sad because you're like this is a movie about someone who got to experience that childhood fantasy of because i think when you're like 9 10 11 like you still can imagine that like you're secretly a wizard or you're secretly yeah. a mermaid or you secretly have a twin and it's just over the horizon. And all these fantasies I feel like are about being told you are special and you are not alone. And probably the you are not alone thing matters more than the you are special thing, or at least to me and my <laughs> fantasies of that age. And it's so sad to me that she starred in this movie that like the joy that it brought so many kids was this idea of like what if I wasn't all alone and there was someone like me who could be my best friend and help fix my family and then that person never existed for her she was just talking to herself the whole time and there's like no other kid that knows what it was like to do this movie and to like she needed a twin so she could have like a second person to talk to Mm. about all of this shit as it was going down makes me sad Yeah, that's so sweet but yeah, really sad. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's what Carolyn was saying when we I, I watched this in the passenger seat of the car while Carolyn was driving, <laughs> and she was like, she said that she's like, you know, there's that there's that whole thing where you're a kid and like if you're an only child and particularly you imagine maybe there's another kid or even if you have siblings and and uh, you you imagine that maybe there's this other kid who totally understands you. And I was like, my primary takeaway would be, did my parents conspire to get rid of my sibling that I'll never see again? Like that. <laughs> yeah and that like the child fantasy of finding this other world you belong to kind of relies on your parents having lied to you and it's like i don't know maybe that's a way to accept that too because your parents are inevitably going to lie to you about some important stuff and then when you confront them about it they'll be like oh sorry i didn't know what to do and you're like jesus christ you guys I didn't know that was going to hurt you in such a big way (laughs) that it does circumvent this thing that we've talked about a bunch of times where it's like mostly in kids movies, they kill the parents. Like they have to figure out how to give agency to the children. That's fucking weird. A lot of the times they like kill the mom, obviously, and then Belle can do whatever she wants. (laughs) And it is nice and admirable, even though it sets up this alternative bizarre situation that they didn't have to kill the parents. And not only didn't they not have to kill the parents, like, bringing the parents back together in the said trap is how the kids find their agency, which is nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And also like Elizabeth James is such a lovely, oh. she's so lovely. She really reminds me of um, Moira and hook, like that sort of similar vibe yeah. of, and like two women who also kind of remind you of princess Diana, just like a, a lovely sort of gentle British mother and then this movie is also depressing because natasha richardson died oh yeah right after skiing accident which is why no one should ever ski Uh. don't do it (laughs) that's the real takeaway here folks yeah don't separate your kids without telling them that they have siblings and never go skiing (laughs) yeah 
continuing with my anti-Nick Parker crusade, there is that scene where Natasha Richardson's character acknowledges, she says, this arrangement totally sucks. Yeah. Yeah. In agreement with her daughter, who said it first, but... I feel like the way that she delivers that line specifically, you it really does feel like she's realizing like, yeah, this was insane that mm-hmm. we did this. Yeah. Which is a fantasy for a child to have their parents yeah. not not only just sort of hear them but acknowledge that their yeah. bad plan was a bad plan. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That never happens. They're always like, No, it was a good plan. I don't even know why you're saying that. And who knows whether it negatively affected you better than someone else. Yep. <laughs> I mean, so where I thought you were going to go a minute ago, Sarah, was Mm -hmm. one thing that made me kind of sad watching this movie was just the way that like the industry chewed up and spit out Lindsay Lohan. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I was thinking about a lot because she is so good in this movie. She is a star. And there were, you know, several other movies that came out in the years following that where she was also great like she she's such a good actress but seeing her sort of devolve over the years like she was like someone I really idolized as a kid and I feel like I'm thinking about that a lot more in the last year with the whole reckoning around Britney Spears and like Mm. I feel like there are all these young women that I idolized growing up like Lindsay Lohan Amanda Bynes Mm. Britney Mm who you just see what happens to them. And I feel like it's really sad to see them at the beginning of their career, knowing what was coming for them. Yeah. And and at this point, like looking back on how Lindsay Lohan was treated during, I mean, I'm thinking about like the 20 aughts, whatever we're calling those. It was a series of events where like she would get in trouble or something bad would happen to her and it would be in the news. And if there was ever a whiff of like, should we go a little easier on this lady? The public was just essentially like, give us Barabbas, you know, just yeah. like, <laughs> like we, yeah. we are thirsty for her blood. Yeah. I feel like at this point, looking back on that, it's like there wasn't really anyone who that didn't happen to who had that level of fame as a young woman. Like, I, and I don't think that it was that like these girls misbehaved or were bringing it on themselves. I think that's just what the process was. Like you elevate so that you can tear down because that's the most lucrative story cycle, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Any choice that they made in their lives that the public slash the the media perceived as getting in trouble or doing these like crazy things were either like a normal 20 year old shit or Mm -hmm clearly a result of being traumatized and having an incredibly damaging career that very obviously they were not getting what they needed mm-hmm. yeah it's like all this you know the, there's a new mention to uh via twitter on the stories that came out via the times where it's like the birth rate is low and no one's like why is the birth rate low is it because everything is fucking terrible and billionaires are charged like no one draws that line mm-hmm. it's like the same way with like tabloids it's like first of all they're not going to go we checked on britney excuse me we checked on Lindsay, and she's doing fine we have nothing to report but like when they finally yeah. do report that like this thing's fucked up they don't follow up and go you know, we looked into why she's fucked up and it turns yeah. out that the Hollywood system is really screwing these kids up. No. Well, and I feel like that was what, like the Weinstein story when it broke, like one of the remarkable things about it to me was that 
things that had never been news got to be news. Mm-hmm. Like sexual assault in Hollywood is is so common and historically so accepted that like we have just jokes about it. Like the whole the concept of the casting couch is like, yeah, that's where they rape you. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so this thing of like it's not just like, wow, we found a great scoop. It's like we're going to treat all this stuff that we didn't see as news, like we're gonna act like it's news suddenly because it is, but we just never knew that before sorry (laughs) to me this is like inevitably part of that and yeah I don't think that we have full I think there's a lot more stories for us to have kind of a moment of reckoning with and I am excited for what I hope is the inevitable Lindsay docuseries Mm. oh my god I will watch the hell out of that this is the one movie where I feel like that's the well that's not true Uh, she's the man is another one where I feel like you Mm. watch it and you're just like it's not gonna end well i'm so sorry because you're so brilliant Mm -hmm. in this and this is just this goes in a this goes in a bad place unfortunately Mm -hmm. this is another thing that's totally nick parker's fault and that meredith kind of gets the heat for what the fuck man you sent your kid away to summer camp for eight weeks, I believe. In Maine. In Maine. And in that time, you met a lady, got engaged to her. And I just feel like, I mean, I don't know how to be a single dad. I've never done it. But I feel like if I had an 11-year-old daughter who was extremely important to me, it might occur to me to be like, hey, I'm dating this lady named Meredith. And like, I really like her. But before I start thinking about marriage or anything that might permanently affect your life, like you should meet her and see if you have any chemistry. You know, I think in this case, Annie as Hallie in this case, her responses are all fantastic because oh she's God. because she's not necessarily being shitty. She's not necessarily being shitty to her. She's being shitty to the situation that she's been put in, mm-hmm. I think. And this the situation she's been put in is her as you just said, Sarah, like the setup is her dad just is putting her in all these circumstances in which he's making her say that she wants this woman to be her mom now. And that's fucking crazy. And he's like, yeah, Holly, I don't have any reason to think that you'll have any input on this. I mean, I assume it's fine, right? This is fine. The scene where she's like, oh, you're going to adopt Meredith. That's so so sweet. I I died. Oh, it's so, so good. I mean, that is certainly a scene that is 5,000 times funnier watching it as an adult than as a kid. It's so funny. It is perfect. When she first meets Meredith and like they're by the pool and the dad comes up and Annie as Hallie is like, how old are you, Meredith? And she's... Also, like, just Meredith's whole vibe, 26. Like, we just... <laughs> her her delivery, that actress... She's fantastic. She's so yeah. good. And then freaking Lindsay Lohan. Oh, that's only 15 years older than me. How old are you, Dad? Dad, how old are you again? Oh, she doesn't miss anything. It's she so knows good. exactly what's going on. And she's like... It's yet again another thing that when you're just sort of swept up in like how delightful and well made this movie is, you're like, this is hilarious. Look at this spunky little kid. Mm-hmm. And then 
as an adult, you're like, this is so dark that she's having to like mm-hmm. joke with her dad about how he's marrying this much younger woman. Mm, yeah. And she has to be the voice of reason and make it look like she's just yeah. kind of noticing and doing math casually. <laughs> yeah, like the age of 11, just having to like try to find a lighthearted way to get through to her dad that she's realized that he's kind of a douche (laughs) when she's also trying to get to know him right because it's not even right Hallie yeah she's just met this man and Hallie in her situation it's kind of it sucks for her because she gets in touch with Hallie to explain the situation and Hallie's like I'm meeting my mom like screw you on this venture (laughs) (laughs) it's the American obviously that says yeah really She's like, you're on it's your like, own, figure bitch. Figure it out. <laughs> oh, my God. The scene where she, like, crinkles the, like, candy wrapper yes. on the phone and hangs up. Hallie is a legend. And I, when I was this age, I would watch, you know, any movie. I was kind of watching for clues about, like, how was I supposed to be interacting with other children? Because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I remember Hallie always striking me as, like, okay, like, I can't do that. Like, that vibe is not going to work for me. But, like... That's the dream where you just kind of your aunt you appear, you're like, I'm spunky. And then like your friends immediately show up and befriend you and they're like, We like you. We're gonna help you get your bag. And just like so I feel I remember feeling like there is no cooler child. Like this kid can do anything. Yeah. And it's this movie is wonderful for how believable it makes everything. Like it, it doesn't you're just really swept along. Can you tell me about a bit about the role of Chessie in this movie and and like uh, how you saw her as a kid? Chessie maybe is the person that I relate to the most as an adult. Mm. <laughs> kind of circling back on the class conversation. Mm-hmm. You do kind of see in this movie the thing where like the people who the parents employ in part to take care of the kids. They're sort of both Chessie and Martin are referred to as the butler, which <laughs> insane word to use in even the year 1998 to his face yeah it's like you may be my butler what yeah okay if we have any like fancy british listeners to this show like is it like if you have a butler like is it rude to call them that to their face (laughs) just let us know drop us a line yeah martin and chessy are just as much parent figures as the actual parents are mm-hmm. like the thing I pointed out earlier where Chessie realizes that Hallie isn't Hallie before Nick does mm-hmm. and like the relationship between Martin and Annie is so sweet the handshake my sister and I certainly <laughs> did learn that handshake uh. and the scene the whole scene where he's dropping her off at camp like it oh, it is just so sweet but yeah I mean Chessie I think she has this this thing about her where she sees everything that's going on. Mm. She has this kind of detachment from Nick's bullshit and Meredith's bullshit where she kind of has to be the, the moral center of that family and the voice of reason and sort of the mom that Hallie never had in some ways. But I think more than anything else, just her like her no bullshit attitude and like, her making chili with the button-down shirt in the kitchen. Like, the whole chessy energy. Yeah. The, like, occasionally slightly wacky, but fundamentally very down-to-earth, no-bullshit-loving lady. I really dig. So when Elizabeth 
she like is going to go on this camping trip with her ex-husband and their daughters and then at the last second she's like Meredith you go instead I'm gonna stay here and like a I'm curious as to what you guys speculate her motives are in that moment because she's a bit of an enigma in that scene and b we know that she probably just spent the 24 hours during which that camping trip was happening just getting her chessie on just in the house with chet there like she's got a button down on she's like all right we got the button downs on let's make some chili oh yeah let's watch some steel magnolias i would watch an alternate ending of this movie in which elizabeth realizes that nick is a douche and ends up with chessie yeah oh yeah they would be amazing parents that, that would be powerful because yeah. really they would powerful. both be parenting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick does that thing, too, where he makes up for not being a great dad with being like, you're the only woman in my life, which is a weird thing to say to your daughter, especially yeah. Yeah. especially considering that she goes away for a summer and you get engaged. Like, that's not a good setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we- <laughs> it's weird. It's all very weird. I mean, I always kind of read that Elizabeth telling Meredith to go on the camping trip instead. I always kind of read that as Elizabeth kind of getting in on the plan. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, there's the whole act where they're at the hotel and the whole plan kind of becomes clear to everyone involved. Mm -hmm. When rich people have crazy family drama hijinks, it's not that they aren't trashy about it. They just, (laughs) no one notices you're being trashy if you're doing it at a fancy hotel the whole time impeccably dressed falling into beautiful pools oh my god the pool scene come on i feel like dennis quaid the more i think about it the more i'm like nick parker is just a very mediocre guy who happens to be very hot and i feel like he's kind of coasting on that oh big time the jacket he's wearing too like the formal jacket he's wearing is down to his knees like he's lucky he didn't (laughs) drown under his jacket when he was in the pool Yeah, I mean, the the charm and the looks are really doing a lot, <laughs> a lot of, of the work for him. Yeah. But I think at the very least, I would say maybe Elizabeth at that stage isn't 100% sure that she wants to get back together with Nick, but I bet she mm-hmm. wants to break up him and Meredith. And I bet yeah. she knows that if the two of them go on that camping trip together, that relationship is not returning intact. Yeah. <laughs> I think something that is like a less now thing than it was a 90s thing is that like, and I think this is a very positive direction, is that now I feel like we would be less likely to make media where you're kind of showing that someone is a bad person or like offering further evidence of that by being like, well, they hate camping. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, you're allowed to hate camping now. It was so beautifully put when you were like, when you're like, she knows if they go camping that she's going to come out on the other side leaving probably because we know things about Nick. But like, Mm. do I have the situation right where Nick and Elizabeth got into a fight and Elizabeth took a baby and just left on a plane and then he never followed her like that's Oh, so you're saying like maybe they didn't sit down and decide let's split up the babies who's just like, ah, she can have that one. I already have a baby. Yeah, so she knows she knows he's difficult to do. They had a fight that was so bad once she had to kidnap their child. That's a pretty different picture. Yeah. yeah. What was that fight about? I mean, a hairdryer was thrown, we know, from the film. And I feel like these movies also, like, I think this is much less a thing now, but, like, the 90s were very rich in movies about 
kids' parents deciding not to get divorced after all yeah. or, like, being divorced yeah. for a little while and then falling in love again or realizing they were never out of love. And it's like, you know, yeah, like, sometimes parents can't really express their feelings and they need the help of their children to, like, get that extra mile. But, like, sometimes daddy was just a rat bastard sweetie sometimes daddy <laughs> needed to go sometimes divorce is good <laughs> and that's that's a really interesting element of this movie that i hadn't really thought about sarah which is like this is an old story right this was not written in 1998 yeah but we were i think at a point culturally where divorce over the last couple decades had started mm-hmm. becoming more and more common but maybe we weren't quite at the place with it that we are now where mm-hmm. it is sort of seen that like preserving a marriage for the sake of preserving the marriage is not inherently a good thing yeah and so i think maybe we as a culture have like less of a death grip on the idea mm. of like what if they get back together? Which is really nice. Go us. Yeah, like forward progress in one area, if not any others. <laughs> yeah, it's <That's> really <laughs> A shred of potential progress. Yeah, and there's a very Nancy Myers line. I feel like this movie, I'm sure it appeals to so many different kinds of kids, but I think it definitely feels very well made for like the old souls market. Like the mm. soundtrack is that. And also oh, yeah. moments like when I think Hallie goes... It's scary how no one stays together anymore. And it's like, you're 11. <laughs> totally. Also, all of Holly's, all of Holly's um, references are from like 30 years prior. Like she refers yeah. to like Ethel and Lucy. And she says that there's yes. like some other thing where I'm like, hmm, where were you from? Which is a kid who also made references that no one ever got who was remotely my age. I was like, how come when Hallie does it, they don't <laughs> think it's weird? <laughs> There was a joke in this that I picked up for the first time, which is when Meredith shows up at some point towards the end in her convertible. So first of all, I noticed she was listening to the Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff. And I was like, that's amazing. And I just heard like a Mm -hmm. sliver of it and looked up what it was. And she was listening to Parents Just Don't Understand, which is very funny. I love that too. Yeah, Yeah, I love that they put that That's a really good joke. That's so weird. (laughs) Like this is a deep cut for our Fresh Prince fans. Oh, yeah. This movie made me think about the soundtrack as a concept. Mm. There's something funny about growing up on Disney properties because there's such a range of quality. And I didn't know the term vertical integration, but if I had known it, I would have used it. And Disney creates all kinds of stuff. And some of it, you feel like they're really (laughs) putting the pedal to the metal. And some of it is like really lovingly put together and feels like it has the care put into it that would go into a movie made for adults who were expected to be paying close attention to everything. And I, as a kid, and, and now as an adult who still engages with kids' media, like it feels very special to me when you're watching something that doesn't have to be as good as it is. Like yeah. they could have been like, ah, oh, they're kids, who cares? But that actually, I mean, Nancy Myers made Something's Gotta Give, and th- you can tell that when you watch yeah. this. You're like, this is this is weirdly like... An adult romantic comedy for children where children are doing the heavy lifting. I can't really think of another movie like it, honestly. There is so much in this movie that just like flies directly over the head of any kid watching it. Yeah. And you watch it as an adult and 
you know, you can talk about it forever. There is so much like psychological family dynamic stuff happening here that I think it really it's richer than it seems at at the first glance, I think. I've been listening to Disney War, which is a book about backroom hand jobs and backstabbings at Disney, basically. Hell yeah. Wow. <laughs> talks about what I think is now a kind of infamous statement of purpose that Michael Eisner wrote before he came to Disney, I think when he was at Paramount. And the most quoted part goes basically like, it is not our job to make art. It is not our job to make history. It is our job to make money. But sometimes to make money, we will make art and we will make history. So, wow. I mean, in a way, like, it would make more sense in the context of Paramount than of Disney, because you can, if you're making movies for, like, adults, then I think it's easier to sort of see it all as a business and to see adults as sort of self-conscious consumers who know that they're buying what they're buying because they just want to get through the next two hours of the evening or whatever. But I feel like you can make kind of okay kids media, and Disney certainly made a lot of it, and make plenty of money. And that will serve you well. But also I feel like the fact that we're all here like 23 years after this movie came out talking about it with reverence, like I think to make a lot of money (laughs) or to stay relevant, like it is necessary to make things that people will remember the way they made them feel when they were children. Yeah. And sometimes even remember being made to feel oddly respected by a piece of media. Mm Mm-hmm. The first four minutes of this movie, there's no dialogue, mm-hmm. and it's a Nat King Cole song, yeah, and it's yeah. beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. But again, as Sarah said, it feels like something's got to give for children. Like it's a it's mm-hmm. an adult yes. romantic comedy for children because kids like to feel like they're watching real movies it's like why else would you put grape juice in a wine glass at that Absolutely. age yeah you can that's beautiful <laughs> beautifully, beautifully but you could cut that four minutes and get this down to a cool 90 seconds but there's i mean 90 minutes but there's no reason to it actually it works so well that was michael eisner's original idea the 90 second <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this is a grown-up movie and that means a lot to kids that's fantastic Yeah. And I think that is a big part of why it appealed to me, because I feel like I was I kind of wanted to be an adult when I was a kid. Like I wanted to be perceived as knowing more. It's Mm -hmm. also about kids who are like that. It's about kids who see more than what is has been told to them. Like it is a kid's movie, but I think it is also a family movie in the in the classic term like it's meant to have things that fly over the kids' heads and mm-hmm. are for the adults. And it's meant to have some things that are just like a fun time for kids to watch this movie about hijinks. Yeah. And then also like making something that different people of different ages can all genuinely enjoy at the same time, I think is really hard. Yeah. And rare, I think. Yeah. Are those movies still made? Like most movies that I see that are targeted towards families are like 3D animation, like a hundred years old or like, like, you know, like like Pixar style. Like, do they still make live action movies that are for the family that are good? That's a good question. Like with animated movies, I feel like the shortcut that studios take a lot is like, okay, we're going to get parents in the seats because they're going to care that the starfish is voiced by Paul Giamatti. (laughs) 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 
All right, I think we're at a point where we can say overall that we know we know that Nick was the father that was focused on for much of this movie. Mm-hmm. Who, Sarah and Issa, is the daddy? Chessie. For me, it's because Chessie is the one who knows what's up. Mm. There is, I think, zero, I said this earlier, but zero bullshit with Chessie. Uh, and she wears a button-down shirt like no one else. <laughs> yes. Including Nick. I know. <laughs> Yeah, every time I put on a button down, I'm trying to access my inner Chessie. My sister and I thought the scene where Meredith tells Nick to unbutton one more button because she likes to see a little chest hair. We thought Mm -hmm. that was the funniest and most repulsive (laughs) thing we had ever seen. You were right. For years after that, whenever our dad had like one too many buttons undone we would call it dennis quading it oh my god that's so funny. that's so funny free the chest hair free the, free chest, the hair. chest hair i'm in i'm in favor of it i feel like there's a flip side to that with christine baranski in the birdcage <laughs> who also oh, I love has, is a fiend baranski. for chest hair for the chest hair of a man she cannot have oh, man. the 90s was for it I'm for more chest hair. Uh, I, I would like to see that out in the world. So do what you will. I mean, Chessie to me, like she so is the daddy, but I also feel like this is a time to appreciate characters that we haven't talked about yet also. So I'm going to say the Marvas, one of whom is played by Maggie Wheeler, a.k.a. Janice, yeah. who is a pillar of my childhood for that reason. She's amazing. Maggie Wheeler emailed my band once. <gasps> what? That's amazing. She runs like a women's choir. No shit. And she wanted to do one of our songs. No shit. That's so, oh my God. Janice emailed Lula (laughs) Wilde? Yes. And I wrote back and was like, obviously you can. And then never heard from her again. That's fantastic. We're going to at her on Twitter until we get a response. So yeah, great. Release the Maggie cut. But yeah, the Marva's delightful great camp that they've got going there like wonderful place to find your twin i'm very happy that that world exists there's a thing that i noticed when looking up the cast of this movie Mm. one of the Mm -hmm. character names is Lindsay. there's a girl named Lindsay, and she's played by a girl named hallie Mm -hmm. myers who is i assume nancy myers related to nancy myers in some way her daughter i think yeah her daughters are hallie and annie that's hilarious and her name yeah. was Lindsay in the movie is she the girl who's like like she'll punch the other girl I don't know who this girl is I want to say she's the girl with the first aid kit oh yes you're right you're, you're totally right yeah. that's yeah. exactly what it is yeah also did you know that Aaron Brockovich is an Aaron Brockovich playing a waitress named Julia what no I did not yes she's the waitress at that restaurant they go to after she loses her court case and doesn't order any food oh my god the Characters Marva Culp Sr. and Marva Culp Jr. are named after Nancy Culp, the actress who played a camp counselor in the 1961 film. Oh, that's great news. And Joanna Barnes appears in both films playing Vicki Robinson, who I believe was the Meredith. Yes. In the 1961 film, and then she plays Meredith's mom. And who also had the Switzerland line. Just a long line of women whose first marriages always get disrupted by secret twins. Kind of an unlucky family. Or a really, or a lucky family, depending on how you look at it. True enough. I said to to Carolyn, I was like, of the the grandfather, I was like, this guy's so nice for an old old British rich guy. And Carolyn's like, he's probably super racist. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's friends with yeah. Prince Philip. <laughs> he is. We need to at least make a passing acknowledgement of the blinding whiteness of this movie. Yeah. But yes, grandfather is delightful. Yeah, absolutely. I have no, I have no, no daddy to add. Jesse is easily it. It's just Jesse. Yeah. It's Jesse yeah. all day, yeah. every day. Yeah. It was always Chessie. It was always Chessie. It was always Chessie. Issa, tell us about you and your music and, and, and how people can find you. If you like my funny, funny jokes, you should follow me on Twitter.com where I spend a lot of time. But I'm also a musician. I'm in a band called Lula Wiles and we just put out a new record. But I also do stuff as a solo musician and play with other artists and yeah you i'm easy to find on the internet <laughs> and maggie wheeler is a fan yep so maggie wheeler's a fan join her in fandom and yeah you you can have something in common with maggie wheeler <laughs> <laughs>
this will be the first time anyone has loved me. And I'm so glad you found me in time. And I'm so glad that you rectified my mind. This will be an everlasting love for me. for listening to this episode of you are good thank you so much to carolyn kendrick the producer of this fine show and the music director as well thank you to carolyn and isa isa burke again who not only was isa a guest on the show but isa participated in putting this melody together that appeared in the episode of songs from the parent trap with carolyn we very much appreciate it it's the show always sounds unique in some way and this is how it sounds unique this week Thank you to Fresh Lesh for the beats that uh, that you'll hear throughout each of our shows. Thank you to you for listening, to our Patreon supporters for supporting, patreon.com slash youaregood. To our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash youaregood. Remember, there are bonus episodes over there. Uh, follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Those are where we are predominantly. We like it when you say hello. Send us an email if you'd like at wiredads at knack-factory.com or you can find an email on our website. I think that's it for now. All right. Thanks, everybody. You are good.